you will grow. This, this field will test you. Hello, welcome to The Seasoned RD, a podcast connecting newer professionals in the field of eating disorders to those of us who have been around for a while. I'm your host, Beth Harrell, a certified eating disorders registered dietitian and supervisor. And I'm Abby Brown, a registered dietitian who is newer to the field. I think of myself as a well-seasoned cast iron skillet with wisdom and experience, yet always ready for something new. And I think of myself as an Instapot with innovation and a fresh perspective. This podcast brings both to the table to share ingredients, recipes, and techniques of past and present so we can all be our best for the future. The kettle is heating up. A skillet is on simmer. So join us around the table for true professional nourishment. Abby, ready to stir the pot? Let's do it. Welcome to the Seasoned RD, where today we are speaking with Meredith Riddick, who is the owner and operator of Harmony Therapy Group. She's a licensed professional counselor and certified eating disorder specialist and supervisor. She primarily treats eating disorders, trauma, anxiety, and relationship issues, and she has multi-state licensure, can see clients in Maryland, Virginia, Texas, and Arizona. So her big nuggets for us are supervision, 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 and I'm going to call her the supervisor's supervisor. I work very closely with her and I really appreciate her approach, especially her collaborative approach. She provides us tips if you are applying for your CEDS or CEDRD application, including the case study. She teaches us all how not to feel bad about blenders and reminding us how this field will test us and you will grow and you have to have a high tolerance for ambivalence. One of my favorite parts is her description of countertransference and transference using samples in eating disorders care. So dietitians aren't typically taught those kinds of things and therapists are taught them in a slightly different way. And she brings up examples of being an athlete, dancer, parental figure. And then one of my favorite is some tips on bringing awareness that if you are thinking about a client at the beginning of the week and you're not seeing them till the end of the week and you're already thinking about them and worried about them, um, how to take care of yourself and how to make sure that you're the strong one in the room. She gives lots of shout-outs, so there's shout-outs to people who have helped form her conferences that she loves, and then you can find her, although she did allow me to announce that she will be welcoming a baby girl into this world in October, that she has digital e-courses, and there's a free one at harmony-therapy-u.teachable.com, and that will be in the show notes for you. She also has a supervision podcast that's no longer active in in terms of new episodes, but it's called Dietitian Seasonings and Therapist Reasonings. And one of my favorite episodes is where they have you help a client who comes in and says, I have to lose weight in order to be happy. So there's so much more that I personally want to learn from Meredith and I enjoy being in her company. And I hope that you enjoy this episode and learn a lot from her as well. Thanks for joining us. You were way high on our list as someone to talk to because of how awesome you are with your supervision. And that's really the whole goal of this podcast is to help introduce people to supervision. They just don't tend to know about it. And whether they're going for certification or not, Meredith, this is something that I think is important to kind of outline is that there's people out there doing this and they're talking about supervision 
And when I was texting you yesterday, when I was at Adela Francis thing, and you're like, oh, I use that all the time. I use that all the time. I'm like, I can't wait for you to work with me and the other supervisor. Like you're the supervisor's supervisor. <laughs> it, it feels weird to hear that. Um, <laughs> it does feel weird. But no, I mean, and, and we've known each other a while now and you, you know where I am with that. I just, I value supervision in my own life, whether it's, you know, peer consultation or more formal supervision and, and all of that. And I really value, especially, you know, kind of raising up new clinicians in eating disorders. We, we need good people who, you know, of course, know the field and know, know things about eating disorder treatment, but also who have kind of those advanced skills in knowing themselves as clinicians. And that's a little bit of that deeper work that when you really get into like the fun parts of supervision, you know, you can get into some of that, that stuff. And it's not, it's not so much just research and statistics and try this and, you know, exactly. Exactly. I think so Molly Kellogg is going to come on and she's going to talk about the difference between supervision and case consultation. Right. And that's um, something that we as RDs are not trained about. Right. Right. So that anything that you have is basic and we're still going to be soaking it up. Just remember that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> well, and it's true, you know, I mean, cause I know RDs, it's not like a huge part of the training and education and, and also for therapists, especially in grad school. And then your first couple of years out of graduate school, it's a lot of supervision. And so I think mm-hmm. a lot of times therapists, once they get their full licensure and all that, a lot of times they're burnt out on supervision, yeah. you know, it's, it's yeah. been weekly for a very long time. And, you know, sometimes they just want to get in and feel like they can do their own thing and all of that. Mm -hmm. Or it's just, you know, they want to get in and see clients more and all that. So it's, it's a topic that whether it's just RDs who just don't have much experience or therapists who are burnt out on supervision, there's a lot there to explore. We have our three opener questions. Yes. And actually Meredith, after Everything you've said so far, I already feel like I have a hundred questions, but before we get to that, we do, we have our few little icebreakers. So okay. our first question for you is mountains or beach? Oh, I got to be mountains on that. Ooh, yeah, I, think I am that too. So many more people have said mountains than I expected. I'm all beach all the You're way. You're all beach. But, I have yeah. to be honest. I think it's, I think it's a fair skin, freckle, red hair kind of thing. Ah. <laughs> you know, I have, you know, the beach has not been kind to me a lot in my life. So. Funny. <laughs> yeah. All right. Breakfast or dinner? Ooh, that's going to be a hard one. I'm definitely, I love food. Um, <laughs> hmm. I'm going to go breakfast, just slightly winning out over dinner. Yeah. Slightly. Maybe what was that slight part? Yeah. I think it's more, I could do a lot of different things for dinner, a lot of variety, but for breakfast, I I really either need my sweet or my sweet and savory together. I'm a little more Uh particular about breakfast. So that's probably what it is. I love it. (laughs) Okay. Awesome. And then audio book or paper. Uh, really paper. I, I'm more, I'm more of a visual learner, audio stuff. It sometimes it goes in one ear and out the other, and I have to re-listen to it. So I'm more, I'm more visual. So I got to go paper. (laughs) I see Abby shaking her head, nodding her head. Yeah. I, I really do think even though we're such a virtual world now, I think most people still like paper. It's nice to be able to touch it and to write on it or to tear it out, whatever you have to do. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
Awesome. Well, we are going to just, we really want to just get to know you and we want our listeners to get to know what it is that you have brought to the field, how you got into the field. Some are going to be dietitians, some are therapists, medical providers, maybe even physical therapists, medical librarian. We have a, a wide variety of people who are part of this show. So we want to just hear how, what made you interested? How did you get into the field of eating disorders and maybe even therapy in general? Yeah, absolutely. Well, it it all goes back a little over 20 years ago. Uh, Whenever I was just kind of growing up, I I always wanted to be an attorney from a pretty young age. And so when I got to college in 2000, I I was pre-law, I was majoring in political science, but, and while I was interested in that stuff, I knew it was a little bit of a means to an end just to get into law school. So I decided to minor in gender studies because I've always been interested in women's issues ever since I was a little girl, just defending women's rights and, you know, things like that. And so I minored in gender studies in college. So took a lot of sociology classes and some economic kinds of classes. And, and there I was really introduced. I mean, of course we know that eating disorders and sexual trauma and all sorts of things, of course, it is not specific to women at all, but again, rewind 20 years ago. And, you know, that was a little bit more of like what we were exposed to. And so I, I, uh, I just really developed a heart for women who had gone through sexual trauma, eating disorders, kind of some things like that. And then later on in college, I was in a sorority. And so we do a lot of volunteer work. I ended up volunteering at at a local advocacy center for individuals who had experienced sexual assault or sexual abuse. And so I just got, I got exposed to a lot of social workers and therapists who were helping those individuals. And basically from there, I kind of just had this epiphany and this calling of not being an attorney and not going to law school. And instead I entered graduate school for counseling and the graduate school I went to is in Lubbock, Texas. I went to Texas tech. And at the time they had very few eating disorder resources around. There was one local therapist who was really well known for treating eating disorders, but that was about it. So I didn't really have any opportunities for like an internship or anything in grad school for eating disorders, but I knew I was interested. I had a professor who had done his entire dissertation on eating disorders. And so he let me help help him kind of break down his dissertation into a few different articles, nothing that ended up getting published, but I got exposed to a lot of the research and resources. And, and then to go from there after graduate school, I applied for a job at a residential treatment center in Arizona. And uh, I got hired there in 2007. And I was like a little sponge. I soaked up everything I could learn there. And sometimes I cringe whenever I, I think back to my very early days as an eating disorder therapist, just, you know, some of the blunders we make and things like that. I, if anybody's feeling bad about that, Hey, I'll share some of my own shame stories with you. We, we want to hear it all, Meredith. How much time <laughs> yeah. do you have? Cause I've got a lot too. I know, but it was, we got such amazing training and you know, interestingly enough, and Dr. Carrie Anderson is the one who hired me there. She was our clinical director. And it's just, it's crazy to me, you know, what is it, 15 years later, almost that I still am connected to her in some way, shape or form. The eating disorder world is very small, actually. And so I learned so much whenever I was there and I just haven't looked back since. I just, I have a passion for treating eating disorders and I want, I want others to experience really excellent training and, and growth because you will grow. This, this field will 
test you and, <laughs> and, mm-hmm. you know, just have to have the, the strength and the knowledge and, and the desire to, uh, to grow in that. Yeah. Meredith, it's so nice to hear that even you being so big and eating disorders and such a big name in the area that even you feel like at the beginning stages, you maybe made some mistakes or said something that now seems silly because I, that is exactly what I'm going through right now. I'm feeling like, Oh gosh, is this the right thing to say? I don't want to offend this person. I don't want to trigger this person. It's such a very sensitive field. So it does make me feel a little bit more comfortable that, okay, we're all just learning. We'll get there eventually. And I think obviously you're working with both men and women now. And even though you started out thinking that it would be more so woman focused, I was reading your psychology today, little bio, and I even felt just so inspired and motivated through that. Just how you're talking about how you have this desire to work with women who you said, quote, who are perfectionists, who are working on eating disorder recovery or trying to approach trauma in a brave way. So you really cover all of these different areas more so than eating disorders. But my question for you is, is there some sort of, I guess, is there something common in that? someone with eating disorders usually also has anxiety or also has some form of PTSD or something like that. Do those connect in a way or are they more separate? Oh, great question, Abby. They absolutely connect. They absolutely do. You know, it was, it was one of those things where even though I was already interested in the trauma piece, my additional specialties in working with anxiety and trauma have really stemmed from my work with eating disorders. And in fact, I think it was Dr. Norman Kim several years ago who I heard I think it was on, I think it was on the ED Matters podcast, it may have been somewhere else. And he talked about how, you know, nowadays with the research that we have, we can almost think of anxiety, of of eating disorders as anxiety disorders in a way, like you'll often find with your eating disorder clients, subclinical or clinical anxiety actually came before the eating disorder. Whereas sometimes like depression maybe happened after the eating disorder, you know, potentially a result of malnutrition, that kind of thing. And then we know like with trauma in particular, it may not be a full-blown PTSD diagnosis, but, you know, kind of within that realm, you know, I mean, it's you know a little subjective there, but you know roughly half of your clients are going to have something like that in their backgrounds, and it's it, I believe it's well over fifty percent of individuals with binge eating disorder have a trauma in their background, and so it, you're you know anyone is is going to come across those things in working with eating disorders, and I think you know I'll kind of just add to that just my own subjective experience over the years. Women in particular, I, I, even though I, yes, I do treat everyone. I, I just, over the years, it tends to be mostly women. So that's mostly my experience. Individuals, maybe I should say with eating disorders are highly intelligent. They actually score higher on IQ tests than the average population. And they are highly sensitive. And I'm going to use that word sensitive as a strength. I know a lot of times in our field, or maybe not in the field, but just we often say, oh, they're too sensitive or hypersensitive. I'm going to say that word as a strength. And I mean, sometimes with clients, I'll say the word, you're highly intuitive. You're, You're a keen observer. And so what often happens with our clients as young children, when you are really, really smart and you're really, really perceptive and intuitive and sensitive to the world around you, 
uh, you know, let's say you're in an environment that doesn't value that as much. Well, that you're going to end up right with some anxiety. You're going to end up with possibly some, some traumatic experiences in the sense of feeling a lot of invalidation, or maybe you weren't valued for those really, really strong characteristics. And so then eating disorders, kind of those behaviors become a way of coping with that, you know, cause you kind of learn as a young kid, just don't rock the boat don't open my mouth, just, you know, everything I feel until you internalize everything. And so to very long response to your, your short question is they, they really do all go together and you'll see that in a lot of different ways with your clients over the years. It's, it's really fascinating. It always keeps you on your toes. <laughs> you know, Definitely. Uh, there was something you said about rewinding 20 years ago and that you're focused on women. And then when Abby said men and women, and, and today, as we fast forward to 2021, we have to include all genders. And that's another right. piece of it, of things that I know that I've learned along the way is we just don't know what we don't know. And I wish we would have known back then what we know now. So how do you learn and how do you stay current in, in this field? Yeah, a few different ways. I think one of the best ways more recently, especially with COVID, what, you know, it's been a really, really tough year, but I think one of the things that's come out of it is nowadays there are so many free continuing education webinars, especially that eating disorder treatment centers are putting on, which is amazing. And so, you know, it's usually something that's free or low cost. And so I highly recommend when an eating disorder treatment center or an eating disorder provider is putting on a webinar or something like that to jump on that. I also, for me, I've over the years tested out a few different conferences and by far my favorite is IADEP. I, I have a goal one day of going to IADEP every year, but for now I try and go every other year. And, but there's also AED uh, Academy for Eating Disorders and Another really good one I like is Southeastern Eating Disorders, SEED, the SEED conference. Uh, They put on a really good one. And I think just kind of going to conferences, you know, we have to get continuing education in our field anyway. So, you know, for me, primarily all my CEs are in eating disorders. I also do EMDR. So some of that's, you know, do some of the trauma work there as well with EMDR and get CEs there. But So continuing education, uh, conferences, there's also a few different, you know, journals. I, I, I found over the years, my, uh, my, I'm not as consistent with reading journal articles as I'd like to be, but there's, there's some good journal. I think just like the journal of eating disorders. And I think one AED puts out that might be the same one, but reading journal articles, things like that. And, and then nowadays there's so many amazing podcasts and, (laughs) you know, listening to podcasts, listening to some of these experts in the field, some of our SEDs and our SED RDs and, and all those researchers, things like that. And, And over the years, you begin to know names and, you know, kind of subspecialties like Beth, like, like, like you're saying with LGBTQIA, I remember in 2015 was really when I really began supervising a lot. And it's, it's not one that's, you know, I'm kind of eating disorders, anxiety and trauma, but you know, you need to know a little bit of everything, but LGBTQIA wasn't something I was hugely trained in or knowledgeable about. So when I started supervising clinicians, I said, I need to know more about this. And so I, you know, I remember that IADEP conference that year, I made sure I went to a few different presentations and there was a great, her first name's Marty, and I'm going to blank on her last name. I think she's from California, but she did a fabulous presentation. Mm -hmm. And so just seeking out things you don't know. Sometimes when we go to conferences, we look at webinars, we're like, 
oh, I like that topic. That's what I'm interested in. But I would also encourage go for topics and eating disorders you may not be super interested in, you know, because you're going to need to know about it, you know? That's so awesome. I want to clarify too, for anyone who may not know when you said IADEP, what that stands for and SEDS, what that stands for. Oh, yes. So IADEP is International Association of Eating Disorders Professionals. And so that's a, you know, huge organization that, gosh, IADEP does so much, you know, kind of trains and, or I guess not trains, but educates clinicians on eating disorders. There's a symposium every year. I think they usually provide, you know, what is it? well over 20 or 25 continuing education units for everyone. And there's a lot of smaller IADEP chapters throughout the country. Well, actually even internationally. And so you can go to like a local IADEP chapter and just kind of be there with other like-minded professionals and learn and grow. But then also IADEP has a huge uh, part of it that they have a certification. So that's the SEDS or the SEDRD, or some people say SEDS, I've heard it both ways, but Certified Eating Disorder Specialist, Certified Eating Disorder Registered Dietitian. And that's, it's a, it's a pretty big deal. It's really prestigious to have that. It takes a lot of hard work (laughs) to, to get it. You know, you have to, you have to want it, you know, and kind of Mm -hmm. go for it, but, you know, in getting your certificate and I got my certification, I think in 2013, you go, you typically go through a lot of education and training supervision, get a lot of experience with hours. You also, you go through, IADEP has these core courses that you take to learn more. And, and then there's a final exam at the end. And so it's a really prestigious credential that kind of just tells people, okay, this person certified in this and it's by this organization. So it's highly credible. It's like, okay, I know what they're doing. Like, so sometimes if I have a client moving to a state that I'm not licensed in and we, we got to transition them to someone else. If I don't know anybody there, that's one of the things I'm looking for. I'm looking for, okay, which therapists are SEDS, you know, not yeah. to say that people who aren't SEDS don't know what they're doing, but it's just kind of a quick way of, yeah. of saying, you know, okay, I know that they've got some good training. Absolutely. Okay. So speaking of, and I, I, you are talking to us from Virginia right now. Yes. Yes. I'm in Virginia. Yes. And I had never heard of the Southeastern eating disorders group. And so those are some things that when I was in started in the field about almost 30 years ago, there wasn't much. And so some of the classic books that I used for, you know, for RDs, but then the conferences, I think was the Renfrew conference every, I tried to go every other year too. That was the thing. And it's still excellent. And AED you mentioned. And so it's, this is what I love selfishly. Why I got this podcast going is because like you said, I don't want to read journal articles necessarily, but then I get to interview guests who have their own specialty and we can't know everything. So we just really need to come together to help each other out. Okay. So back to the real quick on the certification in the case study, we have to put some, the diagnosis using the DSM-5 criteria. There's other things within the case study that has to happen. And there's one that kind of trips up the dietitians and maybe even some of the doctors, and that is your response to the case. Can you explain that? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's an important piece. In in the therapist world, we often use the terms uh, counter transference or transference, and so that's that's one of the 
you know, first things you learn in graduate school as a therapist. And, and it's tough because it kind of gets a little bit of a bad rap. And I, I don't think it's meant to do that. But basically, transference is essentially when a client basically kind of projects or, or transfers their emotion or response onto you as the clinician. So super classic example of that is just when they don't say if they say when a client is attracted to you. Okay. So that's like probably the most classic version of transference. So counter transference is then the, the projection or the transfer of emotion or some experience that the clinician then has on the client. So again, classic example would be again, in grad school, they, they tell you not if, but when you have an attraction for your client. Now, some of that's very like Freudian, very psychoanalytic, very like long ago, but let me simplify it for eating disorders in particular. So, you know, I'll kind of, you know, let's say you're, yeah, let's say you're a, uh, you know, what, like 40 year old, you know, dietitian, therapist, medical provider, and you happen to be working with like a teen client or something like that, you know, probably classic example of transference would be if they experience you as a parental figure. <laughs> and so in, in, in their session, like, let's say they, you know, they maybe are a little bit argumentative with you or, you know, kind of like, Right, just some of that classic teen parent dynamic, but but it's it's like that within the clinical relationship. So sometimes that happens. And then and then let's say you're a clinician and you happen to have teen children. And so you have a teen client who's, you know, kind of just, you know, they're struggling and they're pushing back and things like that. And then for you, let's say, man, that just brings up this argument I had with my daughter this morning. Oh, it just made me so mad. And right, like so then in the session. Hopefully you're aware of this, you know, in the session, maybe that kind of, you know, influences, you know, how you speak to the client or your ability to empathize with what, with what's going on with them, your ability to sift through and know that this is the eating disorder. This is not them making it personal toward you, but it feels like it, you know? So things like that. Other examples might be, so Abby, this is good. You, you mentioned you were a personal trainer earlier. So you have that certification. So I don't know if you were an athlete or whatever before that, but sometimes clinicians who, who were athletes or, or dancers or something like that, sometimes it can be really tough when you get a, an eating disorder client who's struggling a lot, but they're an athlete. Sometimes your own counter-transference of like maybe over-identifying with that client or, you know, things like that might, might cause you to make adjustments to their meal plan or their estimated weight goal or, uh, or, you know, as a therapist, we don't really do much of either of those things, but, you know, like a recommendation for return to sport, <laughs> you know you know, our own experience, like I had a wonderful experience with dance. Like, well, I never dance. I'm just saying like, let's say, you know, I had a wonderful experience. I want this client to experience that too. You know, it might color our, our decisions like that a little bit. So, you know, those would be kind of some examples in the field. That's just good for us to be aware of. Another thing might just be, we talk about self-disclosure. And so self-disclosure is one of those things that's, you know, I was typically taught as long as it benefits the client, it's okay. Like don't do it for your own benefit, you know, but sometimes if we over self-disclose, like, are we doing it for our client or are we really doing it for ourselves? You know, 
that's a little bit of a check-in on our own counter-transference. I like, there's a really wonderful trauma therapist here on the East Coast who does a lot of um, training. Her name's Lisa Ferenz. And I like her rule. I'm trying to stick by is she says, if you self-disclose, it needs to be five seconds or less. <laughs> so okay. I love um, this. That's so important for uh, to think about. I mean, I'm yeah. glad you used the sports example because actually yeah. Abby and I had a conversation about this a couple of weeks ago. And yeah. then I was listening to Dr. LaFrance Adele yesterday, and she was talking about when clinicians get triggered. And so it's that whole, we were, she was taught dietitians are not taught any of this. Well, we're taught a little bit about motivational interviewing counseling, but then leaving yourself at the door, which is impossible. Right. Right. Absolutely. Understanding and, and recognizing when those triggers are coming up, what's happening in your body to. Right. Absolutely. And that's where for me, when I'm doing supervision, I really try and normalize countertransference. You know, I mean, it could be something as simple as you meet with a new client and you're like, oh, she reminded me of my best friend in college, you know, right. That's countertransference. Right. Mm-hmm. There's like some of that emotional response in you, but it's, it's nothing negative. You know, it's, it doesn't right. mean that you're going to, you know, impact treatment, but it's just good to be aware of that. So I think sometimes in grad school, it gets, you know, taught as something that's a bad thing, but it's not, you know, it doesn't have to be. And so that's where like, and going back to the case study, Beth, you know, is like, we always want to ask for just a personal reaction to a particular case, because first of all, it's normal to have that. And secondly, it's important that we are self-aware in that, you know, that we're not kind of denying that or or whatever that we are self-aware. Cause again, right. Our clients highly perceptive highly, highly perceptive. They will feel it from you, even if you are inadvertently denying it with your face or your words, they, they will feel this vibe from you that something has come up, you know? So it's important that we are self-aware. And then on top of that, you know, especially if it's a counter-transference, you know, like using the sports example or something else, um, or, or if it is attraction to a client, you know, that we are bringing that up in supervision. And so that's another thing that, you know, if that were to happen with that certification, we, we expect that, but we want to know, well, how did you deal with it? Did you get supervision? Did you work on some of these clinician blocks, you know, that Dr. LaFrance talks about, you know, just how did you address it? Were you aware of it? How did you stay grounded in the session by being aware of what's coming up in your body and your emotions? That's another thing Dr. Ferenz says in her trauma training. She says, you know, one of you in the room better be grounded and it better be you, the therapist, (laughs) you know? So we have to do our own grounding and our own self-awareness, even in these sessions. Right. Okay. So I know I I could talk to you all day. I have so many questions, but I want to make sure to talk about supervision some more. What does a therapist have to do with supervision? And then what do you do for your supervisees to help them learn what they need to know now? Yeah, absolutely. On a logistical level, therapists, you know, typically in graduate school, you know, we're getting at least weekly supervision with a site supervisor. And in addition with our, usually our graduate professor kind of in classes, we send in tapes of sessions. We do transcripts of our sessions and our graduate professor is kind of looking over that, giving feedback, that kind of thing. Once we're out of graduate school, typically have a temporary or provisional license from the state board, but under that you have to be under super vision. So then you, you have typically another weekly supervisor. Usually it's four hours a month for at least a year and a half to two years, sometimes a little bit longer if you're maybe working more part-time or that kind of thing. So it's a lot of supervision over the course of probably at least four or five years, you know, 
So within that, of course, in supervision, we, we definitely do case consults. You know, you learn how to present about a client and their demographics and, and just presenting problem and you, you're learning about diagnoses. So you're integrating that. So we do a lot of case consult supervision, especially with a brand new therapist. For me, it, it is some psychoeducation on eating disorders and here's some research, here's some resources. I'm often telling my brand new supervisees if you aren't aware of this book, you need to get the eight keys book by Carolyn Costin and Gwen Grab. <laughs> it's just There's like a shout out right there. And when we'll put in our show notes. Yes. Oh, it's fabulous. I think Carolyn Costin has said it's, it's basically the curriculum that she used kind of early on whenever she had a treatment center. And so for a brand new therapist, it really gives you some really good starting talking points and working with clients, you know, so that, that is part of supervision, but the parts of supervision that I really like are, you know, kind of like Lobo, what you were saying earlier, Abby, is that it, it can be really tough as a newer clinician, especially of experiencing some, you know, techniques or strategies with clients that just didn't go very well, or they fell flat, or you just, it, it was, you were still thinking about it all day. It was maybe hard to focus in your next session. I mean, I just, I have a lot of empathy, you know, for that. Cause on one hand, that's really normal. Another hand, I've totally been there. I'm, I'm still there sometimes, yeah. you know, this isn't, you don't ever reach this level of perfection in this career, you know, you're constantly growing. And so that's where I think the last part of supervision for me is I, I really try and hold space for clinicians where you're never going to be shamed for that. Like, I, you know, I hope I never, ever make anybody feel bad about anything that comes up like that. And it's let me support you in that. And so that's where, you know, you don't want it to be therapy at all. So you're not getting into your supervisees, you know, stuff or their background, but sometimes you are checking in, Hey, how are your stress levels? Hey, how's your self-care? You know, I remember I was getting supervision on my supervision a few years ago, and it just happened to be one of those years that was just stressful. And I ended up in the supervision, just kind of crying. And she was like, Meredith, you sound really stressed. How are you doing? And, you know, it was just this great conversation on reminding me about balance and self-care and backing off of some things and all of that. And so it's, kind of being able to hold space for that. And then I know Beth, you and I were talking about, yeah, some of that, that clinician block work that, that Dr. Adele LaFrance has brought to EFFT, emotion-focused family therapy, even some of it clinicians can use for ourselves. And I still go through that clinician traps scale. So another counter-transference thing is if you have a session coming up later in the week that you're kind of, it's already on your mind, and you're just thinking about it and like, what am I going to say? What am I going to do? Or maybe you're even dreading it. That's a really good sign of checking in with your burnout, checking in with your stress levels. And then a lot of times, like a few minutes before that session, I will go through the clinician trap scale. And it's not, it's not like a, oh, here's the answer. Here's the solution. It's just, I'm bringing awareness to whatever it is that's going on with me so that I can make sure I'm staying away from, right blame, defensiveness, accommodating the eating disorder, you know, denial, things like that. So I know I'm going into probably more details that we could would be a whole nother podcast, but it's just, <laughs> well, we'll have you work. come back for sure. Because <laughs> I then want to ask you, you do something a little unique with supervision or you have, I don't know if you're still doing it, but with dietitians and therapists in the same room. Yeah. Yeah. Jill, uh, Jill Seiki and I used to do that together. We did that for a few years and we still, I think 
in many ways missed that. Our practices have just kind of gone in different directions and Jill's, Jill's practice has exploded and I've kind of gone back to just myself. But yeah, for a few years, we would do combined supervision with therapists and dietitians together, which was great because so often therapists really want to learn from dietitians, right? And dietitians like hearing, you know, some of the therapist kind of stuff, especially because, you know, dietitians, you know, you guys aren't trained in all of this stuff. And I, you know, sometimes even when I say words like holding space for our clients, I'm like, oh, dietitian may not even know what that means, <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, but there's, you know, there's dietitians who treat eating disorders. It's so much more than just a meal plan, right? Yeah. Like you are processing emotion. You are dealing with some of that, that pushback and that hurt and that anger, that sadness from our clients, you know, sometimes more you than the therapist, you know, as, as Jill says, she's used to being the bad guy, quote unquote, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but yeah, so we did combined supervision for a few years just so everyone could learn from each other. It was great. Just you going through and explaining transference and counter transference and all of these things. It's like little light bulbs in my head. I'm like, oh, I'm definitely doing that. Or I definitely feel that way. Or I know I have this case at the end of the week and I am like, oh gosh, what am I going to say already type of deal? And I think that's what highlights the importance of supervision so much because if I were to never know about supervision or to never be involved, then these would just be thoughts that would be going round and round and round and I would never even address them. It would just seem normal almost. And so it's so nice to have these professionals where you can say, well, this is exactly what happened. You know, walk me through it. What should I have done? Was this okay? You know, just kind of getting everything off. And I know you said it's not necessarily a form of therapy for yourself, but I do feel like maybe in a little bit of a way it is just kind of getting all these things out of your mind. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's true, right? Like in a sense, because so much of it can enhance personal growth. We, we do it for professional growth, you know, but it, you know, it's, it's kind of like, right. Treating our clients with eating disorders, like Jill, especially man, she's the queen of metaphors, you know, but right. Like you think about our clients in relationship with food, it's symbolic, you know, eating disorder recovery and treatment. It is about the food as Carolyn Costin says, and it's not about the food as Carolyn Costin says. <laughs> so, so same kind of thing, the, the work that we do in our professional growth, learning how to, you know, not look at a technique or a strategy that just didn't go well. We don't look at that as a failure or if we do, it's with a neutral approach, right? Like, it's not like a shame, like, Oh, I did something bad. It's just like, Oh, okay. That wasn't as effective as I had hoped. Let me try something different or right. Like, and, and right. The other thing too, is sometimes it's clinically appropriate, you know, for a, I, I don't want to say to intentionally trigger a client, but sometimes what I'll say with clinicians is like, especially if you're running a group, I'm like, Hey, if a client was triggered, that doesn't mean that you did something wrong or bad. You know, that's an opportunity to help that client process what came up. What can we do to support? It's an opportunity to help ground. You know, it's a, it's a clinical opportunity for growth for that client. So, so same with us, you know, whenever we do professional growth and all these things, uh, our own flexibility, you know, it, you can't help but transfer it to your personal life, you know. Mm-hmm. Sure. Oh do you, so it sounds like you do supervision for both therapists and RDs. Do you ever work with MDs or like family doctors, anybody like that? Try to think. I, I don't think over the last, you know, six years I've ever had anyone reach out. I'm trying to think if I've had any PAs or nurses reach out. I can't think of anybody. It It's not that I wouldn't, but it tends to be uh, ther- mostly therapists and some dietitians. With the uh, IADEP certification, you can get up to 25% 
of your supervision hours from a separate discipline. So you can do that. But for the most part, I think we tend to get the majority from within our own discipline. So most of my experience is with therapists. Okay. I do have one more. So back to the whole idea of that you might possibly trigger a client, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. When you recognize that you trigger a client, what exactly is your response to that? My thought is therapy is more about asking a good question rather than having a good answer. And so I think, and and even right, like, and when I say therapy, I include nutrition therapy as well. So I think, first of all, being in tune with your client, uh, Dr. Doug Bunnell talks about this. He's amazing with this, but he talks about you. This is one of those differences when you become more seasoned, notice the nuances in your client, notice a pause notice a slight shift in body language or facial expression. Sometimes I notice that they swallow. Of course we swallow, that's a normal thing, but right. Sometimes we swallow when we get anxious or nervous, notice if they start fidgeting. So they won't necessarily tell you they are triggered, but just be in tune with your client in the room, or it's a little harder with zoom, but try, you know, you can, you have to concentrate more, but you can do that. So be in tune. And then even sometimes I will interrupt them. If they're talking or if it's like back in the day when I worked in residential, if it was a family session and I felt like no one else was picking up on this, I would pause and I would say, Hey, I just want to pause right here. I noticed this. I'm wondering if something came up or just if you notice their eyes start to get red a little bit, or sometimes with more of our clients who are more emotionally suppressed, they will purse their lips or something like that to prevent from crying, notice those things. And I just asked, Hey, I just, I just noticed this. And I just wanted to check in what's going on, anything coming up, you know? So it's being in tune and asking a question and just, it's a conversation, you know? I think that this was great. I mean, I'm like, I learned a lot more, even I knew I would have learned a lot, but I'm learning more than I thought I would learn. Got from you. two pages <laughs> of notes here. I know. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Different because we back. had it more neat. To when you entered the field of eating disorders, what would you wish you would have known at that time or picturing yourself entering the field of eating disorders? What do you wish you would have known then that you know now? Yeah, I I'll go back to, again, something Dr. Bunnell has said, Doug Bunnell, if any of you ever listen to him on podcasts or know him, something to the effect that I really wish I had known in the beginning more about this ambivalence in eating disorder recovery that is really, really common. And especially when I was newer, I think that was one of the things, and even now it's, it's one of the things I have a harder time just kind of holding space for. Sometimes I, I want to get right in there with someone who's motivated and it's okay if they struggle, but as long as they want this and we keep working and they're doing their homework every week and (laughs) That does not happen very much, you know? So I think I I wish I would have learned more and understood better about the normal aspect of ambivalence and, and how to, how to be in that with a client and holding space for it, not enabling it, but just empathizing with it and, and some of those kind of skills. So I, I think as Dr. Bunnell says, I think you have to have a high tolerance for ambivalence if you want to work in this field. So I'm still working on it. So. <laughs> well, that sounds like a whole nother topic for a podcast. So I'd love to have you back, but how can people get a hold of you? What do you want people to know about what you do? Yeah, absolutely. Well, it, you can always, uh, my website is harmonytherapygroup.com and my email, I'm an email person for sure. So 
if anyone wants to send me an email, it's just my first name, Meredith at harmonytherapygroup.com. If you know, any of this kind of peaks, peaks your interest and you're brand new in the field of eating disorders. I do a lot of digital e-courses that have kind of created the last few years. And so I've got a free one, just a little mini one on, on diagnosing eating disorders. There's just a lot of nuances there. And then I've got a couple of others that kind of go, I would say they go wider into treating eating disorders, not necessarily deeper. So they don't go super deep into any one thing, but it's kind of a, a wide buffet of a lot of different ways of approaching eating disorders. And so I have an intro e-course for uh, professionals who treat eating disorders. So my e-course website is it's harmony therapy, U, as in the letter U, which I always feel like Stephanie street when I say that, but um, it's harmony therapy u.teachable.com. but it's, it's on teachable and it's harmony therapy. U. if anybody wants to check it out. And even, even though you're not actively doing it, you have a podcast that can give listeners just a sampling of how you handle different situations, like the client that comes in and says, I need you to help me lose weight, or I have to lose weight to be happy. Yeah, yeah, Jill and I, uh, so again, Jill Fakey, she and I together had a podcast called Dietitian Seasonings and Therapist Reasonings for a couple of years. So we have two seasons on that. And uh, we, yeah, we, just, we just stopped it in December of 2020. And but yeah, we've got lots of different episodes on, on different things kind of like that. So find it on iTunes. Awesome. Okay. We are, that was so fun, Meredith. Thank you you so much for having me. I just, this was so fun. I could talk about eating disorder stuff all day long. So thank you for having me. This was great. Let's lean on each other and learn from each other so we can grow together as professionals in this field of eating disorders. If you want to connect with me for supervision or membership with monthly content, please find me at bethharrell.com slash professionals.